Hello and welcome to another episode of Political Agenda brought to you by New Narrative with me, PJ Thumb. I am wearing a brown and yellow batik shirt. There are three of us sitting in front of a big map of Southeast Asia and my pronouns are he, him. Today we have with us Noor Friday, who is a student and an active citizen who is going to talk to us about the recent Tudong controversy. But before that, if you enjoy this podcast and find it valuable, please do join New Narrative as a member. We rely entirely on membership subscriptions to survive. So do join at newnarrative.com slash join or donate at newnarrative.com slash donate. And now, Subash. Okay, so welcome back to another episode of Political Agenda. And as always, joining me, my friend, Sean Francis Han, Editor-in-Chief of Wake Up Singapore. How are you today, Sean? I'm doing good. Yeah, really excited about this. I think it's a really relevant intervention. The Tudong saga has been going on for a while now, and we've been seeing opinion pieces and ideas and thoughts just slung around everywhere. But the voice that we haven't really heard is the voice of a Malay Muslim woman who's going to be, you know, the population that is most affected by this. So I'm really excited to get into this. But before all of that, um, I am wearing a cream t-shirt, uh, green jeans, and my pronouns are he, him. All right, Noor Friday, tell us about yourself. Oh, hi, everyone. My name is Noor. <laughs> uh, I am uh, wearing a black and white dress. Mm. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. All right. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit more about um, what, what you're working in. So you described yourself as sort of an active citizen. What does that oh. mean? Oh, okay. yeah. So I think I'm a lot like uh, I'm a learner first because there's a lot of issues that are happening that I'm unaware of or mm -hmm. at least I am aware of but I don't understand it deeply. Yeah. So I feel that my position first when I enter communities that advocate for these issues is that I'm a listener first and I'm okay. a learner first. Mm -hmm. um, so I, call, I think and I would think that I'm someone who is an active citizen because I worry and I care a lot about social issues, mm -hmm. um, specifically issues like climate change, uh, social inequality, social stratification, and um, gender inequality as well. Yeah, right. so that's why I'm an active citizen because I like to participate in conversations um, and I like to learn mm -hmm. and consider varying perspectives that are something that I've never thought of before. Yeah. Okay. So I guess it just, a, just a quick question, jump in here, like, what do you sort of identify as, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, just, just now I kind of described you as a Malay Muslim woman, right? Yeah. But how, how do you see yourself? Uh, how would you identify yourself? Uh, okay, so I think I'm, I'm Muslim first, then I identify with any race okay. uh, because of my mixed heritage. Oh, yeah. okay. So because of that, I think that uh, like uh, as a Muslim, I feel that I'm more spiritual mm -hmm. than I am religious. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I find that my affinity towards my religion is more spiritual mm -hmm. um, than it is uh, religious. So, yeah. Okay. So, so professionally, what, what do you do? Oh, uh, I work with children and uh, youths. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's fair to say that you are in the education sector. Yes, that's correct. All right. So, okay. Before we even get into the Tudong saga, which is mainly facing healthcare workers. Yes. Do we have the same problems in um, the education sector? Uh, this, no. This weird banning of the head no, 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 staff? No, no, no. Uh, not, not in the education sector, but I can say mm -hmm. that uh, I did apply for a private school before. All right. Um, and that was the only occasion where I was told to take off my hijab. Oh, yeah. so okay. that was the first that I've heard of that ever happened. Yeah. All right. Well, so was it a religious school? No, it no. wasn't. But um, the school is an international school, so they deal a lot with a lot of um, expat children. So right. I, I don't know why I was told to take off my hijab and then I told the manager that, oh, I'm uncomfortable to do so. He said, oh, mm. if you realize we don't have any uh, uh, tudong wearing teachers. It's yeah, so that argument. was the only reason she oh. gave me. So I feel like that's a double sin, right? Because mm. if you're, you know, an international school creating children for an international uh, future... People wearing a headscarf is going to be part of that future, part of the international community. Like, what, yeah. what are you doing? All right, but are the kids never going to meet a, right. a Muslim woman in their lives? That's strange. <laughs> All right, but anyway, that's kind of piqued my interest here because okay. we have this 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 bizarre problem with the healthcare sector, but not with the education sector. So mm -hmm. that kind of provokes me to ask: um, Do we see this sort of in defense, in the military, in the police force? Mm, okay, so in the police force, or at least any public sector, yeah. um, where you have to don a uniform, yeah. uh, the hijab is not allowed. So mm. I can say uh, that for my police officer 
women uh, who wears the hijab, they are told to take it off. All right. Um, security guards are told to take it off. Um, or military. even like private security guards. Yes, that's for what I know as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, at least the, the argument that was posed about the uh, healthcare sector, right, the mm -hmm. nurses, was more an infection control issue. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I was interested to find out more mm -hmm. and I found, okay, maybe perhaps uh, it would be the washing of hands. Right? All right. Yeah, so the washing of hands might be an issue because, you know, if you wear the hijab, you have to cover all the way to your wrist. Yes. Yeah, so what I understand is that, okay, so the washing of hand might be part of the infection control thingy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, okay, I buy that argument. But um, there was a recent study that was conducted by AWARE and Daughters of Tomorrow mm -hmm. that proved to employers that it does, uh, wearing the hijab does not affect infection control at all. Yeah. Okay. So that was an interesting study because that kind of refute the narrative yes yeah so then from when that pub when that study was published and then from then to now what has happened mm. yeah so that's something i'd like to explore okay. i think we should, should should also note that uh muslim women in other countries who are in the healthcare sector can wear the hijab it's yes. um i i mean i don't know about the countries around us maybe you can tell us about the muslim majority countries around us but definitely in the uk yes right where i've lived most of my uh adult working life you know, there's no problem with Muslim women wearing hijab and mm. being a nurse or a doctor. Yeah. yeah. I think also most recently, Australia released a, a collection of stamps. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of the stamps was to celebrate the healthcare workers. Uh -huh. And they drew a, a hijab wearing doctor mm -hmm. as the frontliner. All right. Yeah, so I guess it speaks a lot about di the diversity that they celebrate in Australia. Okay. Yeah. So even in Scotland, there was a, um, there was a student researcher yeah. that came out with a disposable hijab. Mm -hmm. uh, in the hospitals, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of a lot of uh, leniency, a lot of things, creative solutions that were already enforced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I guess before we go any further, before we get into the real issue, the crux of the issue at hand, um, I want to I want to figure out what's the cultural and religious significance of the the tudong. Okay. Yeah. Why does the hijab matter for yeah. our audience? You mm -hmm. know. So explain. Assuming someone who's listening has no idea what mm. a hijab is, maybe you can start totally from um, first principles. Okay. Yeah. Or, or even, I noticed that we've just been using the term hijab and tudong interchangeably. Yeah. Is there a meaningful distinction between the two? Okay, yeah. great. Uh, I was going to answer that as well. Nice. So the All tudong, right, right uh, is the Malay word for hijab. Okay. Yeah. So hijab is the Arabic word and hijab actually just means covering. Okay. Yeah. And then the headscarf is what you called in English. Mm -hmm. So I will use these three interchangeably because they mean the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So um, cult religiously, what uh, the textbook answer mm -hmm. for why women don the hijab or the tudong is because it is a religious obligation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it is uh, it is demand is asked of us in the Quran mm -hmm. to watch our modesty yes. by covering ourselves mm -hmm. with the hijab. Um, but I also need to em uh, emphasize that while that uh, code was being brought down mm -hmm. and uh, the first group of people that God has addressed is not women, is men first. Okay. So that speaks a lot about what men is to do first before women, what women is supposed to do. So okay. the idea about a uh, woman wearing the hijab is oppressive and things like that, right? I think that is not the discussion here. Yes. Yeah. So that's the first we have to understand. So in, in context, mm. um, you're saying that the verse begins with the obligations towards men. Yes. Before it gets to the obligations towards women. Yeah. Okay, right. got it. Yeah. All right. So it says to the men that you have to lower your gaze. Mm. Yeah. So it's, I, but I don't know why the conversation is always about what the woman should do. Mm. Yeah. So that was something I found particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, the religious aspect. And mm -hmm. then for the cultural aspect... Um, sorry, sorry, I'm going to jump in here again. <laughs> I, I just have so many questions. Sure, on this. sure. Because I'm really coming in as an outsider here. But um, what is the, the necessity of wearing hijab? Is it like a must? Is it a choice? Is it like frowned upon? Like to what extent must you do it? Okay, um, I will answer this from the textbook answer, All right. okay? Uh, because I have my own uh, points about it. But mm -hmm. from the Quran, it just says that uh, you have to wear it. It's an obligation. Okay. Okay, but uh, there are a lot of uh, debates going around mm -hmm. about uh, 21st century uh, issues mm -hmm. that uh, talks about women empowerment as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that debate is going around in the um, religious sphere. 
Alright. So because I'm not someone who is knowledgeable in the aspect, I feel like I should not comment on it. But I do know that there are some debates going around. Mm. Like uh, if they choose to wear it, when do they have to wear it? Yeah. Uh, how do they wear it? Does it matter? And things like that. Mm. Yeah. Got it. All right. So what about the cultural uh, significance then? Okay, so the mus- the Muslim majority in Singapore are Malay Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. So for the Malay Muslims, from what I understand, is that um, we we let our children use it after they balir, what they call, uh, they reach their puberty. Yep. Yeah, so then the children, are ex- uh, their wom- the female children, are, the girls, are expected to wear the hijab. Okay. Yeah, so um, that's from what I understand. Some of them train their children to use it since young. Okay. Yeah, so that is a parenting choice mm-hmm. for me. Uh, it's not reflective of uh, what Islam says, but it's a parenting choice. Yes. Yeah, of the cultural aspect of things. Yeah, but personally, for me, um, what I I the way that I wear the hijab, what it means to me is that mm. it is my uh, commitment to my faith. Yes. So um, I was going through a soul searching journey, and I mean soul searching, not because I lost something and I went for a soul searching. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was a cheap shot, but yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I was going on a soul searching journey, and I decided that I, I would like to be more committed to my faith. Right. Yeah, because I, like I mentioned, I'm a more spiritual person. Mm-hmm. So that connection I have with God is something that I, it's just between me and Him. Yeah. So when I put it on, it's a reminder for me that is my commitment mm-hmm. uh, that on this, on earth, my journey is only on earth, but it's not my final destination. Right. That I have to do as much good and uh, learn as much as possible and service, uh, provide service to others mm-hmm. before I go on to what's permanent for me in the afterlife. Okay. Yeah, so it's a commitment for me. Okay. So, I mean, you know, when I started asking the question about the cultural significance, I was Mm. kind of looking along the lines of like, what does it mean? Does it index like uh, your membership to a community or are there like general practices? But I'm sort of realizing now uh, from the way that you put it, that it's a very personal thing. It is. That you can't really generalize and say, this is what it means for Singapore. This is what it means for other countries. Okay. Yeah. So it's really much more personal. Yes. All right. Okay. So I think we got the basics okay. done. I think we've got the basics down. Give us a brief run through what's been going on. I drew a timeline. So. Nice. All <laughs> right. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. Because I've done my research. Okay. I've done a timeline. So in 2002, what happened? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I did not expect 2002. We're going right. to go all the way back but to after, 2002. After all these podcasts with me and you're intimidated by 2002, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my responses have started with, well, you know, in 1945. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, for, for this case, at least it's 2002. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in 2002, there were um, a case of uh, four Muslim children mm-hmm. uh, below the age of in primary school, yeah, who wore modified versions of their uniforms and a hijab to a uh, primary school. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the primary school, the government said, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And then they were sent home. Of course, right? Yeah, so okay. that happened. And then uh, that was the first incident of that. But for me personally, I feel that that was a political move on the parents' part. Yeah, because re- nobody asked the child if she wanted to use it or not. Okay, right. so the par- wait, wait, wait. so political move and then the parents were trying to demonstrate yeah. that there was something wrong yeah. with the system. All right. Yeah. So I felt that that was the starting point mm-hmm. of this whole conversation and that's why I moved towards that direction because that kind of set the tone. That's very creative. Yeah, like, I like yeah. that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that 2002 issue came up uh, and then, yeah, so then that happened. And then after it was a bit like silence for a bit and mm-hmm. then in 2013, there was an online petition for Singaporean uh uh, hijab-wearing women mm-hmm. to use their tudong in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were like 12,405 signatures after two weeks. All right. But it was taken down. Oh. So it was com- there were some comments about it in parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a few ministers said that because it was done on a public platform, uh, you don't know whether they are verified people. People can make out email addresses, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so there was a lot of... Um, denying that this is what it feels on the ground mm-hmm. yeah so then that happened and in 2014 there was a first closed door dialogue um, okay. between the prime minister uh, Malay Muslim MPs um, community le- leaders in the Muslim community mm-hmm. yeah so that was the first uh, just have to ask you any of them women I have no idea because they don't release oh yes it's that. closed door silly me yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah so, so I don't know who's involved mm-hmm. yeah so that's all we know okay yeah, that there was a dialogue mm-hmm. yeah and then in 2017 the first exchange happened in parliament between uh, Workers Party Faisal Manap mm-hmm. um, and the PAP 
So then it, uh, they were talking about uh, whether we could in, in, uh, get the... Basically, he was championing the issue of Muslim mm-hmm. women to wear their tudong in the, head, in the workforce. Yeah. And then um, that's when um, the minister, then minister of Muslim affairs, Yaakob Ibrahim, said that uh, it, wearing the tudong in the workforce can be problematic for some uh, places that uh, ask you to wear uniforms. Okay. Yeah, so that was his comment on that. And then after that, in... Um, 2020, there was this uh, banner that was uh, set up uh, at a particular uh, GRC okay. where a non-Muslim uh, woman was wearing a headscarf. All right. uh, a, a non-Muslim MP was wearing a headscarf, wishing everybody happy um, Hari Raya. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I was quite peeved by that though because I felt that it's quite like, I don't know if I can say this, but it's quite like a masturbatory. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like oh, I think that's yes, a perfect I, word yeah. <laughs> let's celebrate oh I like to celebrate your culture you know and your religion but at the same time I will still enforce the discrimination that you feel mm. <laughs> what was the point of that did they not have uh, you know somebody from the community um, it was just to show that uh, she I mean, when she cleared it up she said that before she actually wore the hijab she yeah. had some clearance from the mosque members and things like that oh. uh, yeah so <laughs> so those people who were like Basically, she made us feel like those of you who are butthurt is your problem, law. Your your people, your 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 what your religious leader said it's okay. Yeah, so that was the twenty twenty incident. It was quite interesting because that happened during COVID uh, circuit breaker, right? Mm. So everybody was all online, so you can hear like tons of people's voices then. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was the the start of the online engagement of the Tudong issue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that one was something I particularly noticed as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in the 2020, there was an online petition as well, also in June um, to get us to be able to wear our tudong in the workforce as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And then in 2021, on the 8th of March, on International Women's Day, the whole Masagos and Faisal Manap issue came up. So mm-hmm. that was during the Committee of Supply, Committee of Supply debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he said comments about how wearing... Um, this is a very divisive issue and things like that and then we should always use a closed door approach and mm-hmm. things like that. <laughs> yeah, I have my own thoughts as well and then um, Maliki Osman came in to support that saying, I cited um, what one of the grand sheikhs said which I wanted to correct because oh, I'm not sure if we should go into that now but I think I would. Yeah, let's <laughs> jump into it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically, um, he, Faisal Mainab asked in Malay yeah. uh, if we can allow this to happen. So I guess we can see that Masagos was quite annoyed that he keeps pushing on this again and again. Mm-hmm. When he when Masagos uh, has a way to deal with this and that's with his closed door dialogues. Yeah. Yeah. So he was very annoyed. It was it was very obvious that he was very annoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Maliki Osman came into the picture and then he said that um, he was reading a speech which which made me feel like okay, this should not have happened. So while he was reading the speech, he, he cited a uh, grand imam of a... Uh, Al-Azhar Universe of Al-Azhar. So, he, uh, he's somebody of a very notable figure. All right. Okay, in the Islamic world. So, he said that, um, this imam said that if a woman wants to get a job and mm-hmm. she has to get the job, yeah. she can take out the hijab if the job says no. Yeah, so, but, so I was like, wait a second, did this imam actually say that? Because mm-hmm. I know for sure that's not how it is. So I did my research and I was trying to pull up the transcript of yeah. this particular um, uh, issue, this, this particular event where Maliki Osman said that he was moderating it. So okay. I was like, okay, it's not very hard to find it, right? So I found it. I found the transcript. Mm. And that's not what he said. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So what the imam said was that um, if... Uh, I have this. Okay, I'm gonna read this here. Okay, in case yes, somebody yes. say that I'm not saying the right things. Okay, let me just pull it out. It's exciting, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the government has been putting out fake news, and we're going to prove it right now. Okay, so basically, what happened was he said that the hijab can be temporarily removed due to work requirements. He qualified that it is this is only permissible if it's in an extreme situation. So in 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 Islamic terms, it's called darura. So that means that if she is the only sole breadwinner and she only has this job, then she can take it out. Yeah. So the extremities is it's uh, emphasized, mm-hmm. but it was not in Maliki's uh, uh, speech. It was conveniently plonked there. Yeah, I, I'm even thinking like without that context, you know, why would you want to create an environment where 
a Muslim woman would have to make like that tough call or would be pushed into that situation where they would have to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to draw on this exception yeah. or, or, you know, I, I'm going to have to navigate in this tight legal crevice mm. and then take it. You know, why? Why would you do that? Right. It's yeah. So, you know, it is important to, to people. Why, why, why do this? Like, even if you're citing it, it's such a poor citation. Yeah. It's not what it means. And then the best part was, he actually, the imam actually said something else about standing up against discrimination, which mm-hmm. Mr. Maliki did not add into his speech. So mm. the imam said this. Um, let me just pull it out, okay? He asserted that we must confront the intolerant model of secularism, which oppresses religion and its believers at the intellectual level. This confrontational should be on the basis of personal liberty because the secularism that accords women to personal liberty in appearing without the hijab in public should also accord the same right to women who wants to wear the hijab. So, you can clearly see where the imam sits on this issue, right? Yes. I mean, and then this... <laughs> this minister was just like, oh, but you know this thing happened once? I was the moderator. Yeah, so <laughs> I was thinking to myself, why didn't anyone, like, uh, you know, bring it up? Mm. Yeah, so we take what is being said as face value without researching it. But I was, I was quite, uh, I was scrutinizing what he said mm-hmm. because like I'm pretty sure that's not what he said. Mm. Yeah, and then it was like, uh, and then after that, uh, then we move on to what Shamukam said recently, right? Yes. So he said that there has been talks for uh, women to be able to wear the headscarf in the workforce, um, in the in in the pub in the healthcare sector, right? So yeah. nurses are able to do it. He said that, and he said this talk has been going around for months. Mm-hmm. Then how come Masakos didn't get the message? That was my question. Yeah. And and mm. yeah, and then I don't know whether it was more like um maybe it was like damage control because yeah. maybe somebody alerted them that Maliki quoted this guy. He did not say that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether that's what happened. So I that, but when Shamugan stepped in, what it kind of signals to me that mm-hmm. it's a national issue now. It's yes. not a mm. Malay Muslim issue the way that um, the government is uh, has been portraying it or framing it. Mm. Because the moment a non-Malay Muslim speaker or minister comes in and say, hey, this is what's going to happen, it kind of signals you that it's a national issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that, okay, so we can have that conversation now. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... That's uh, that's more nonsense than I expected, you know. <laughs> like, and thank you for pointing it out. Thank you for calling it out, right? But I mean, what one big piece of nonsense as well that pervades this entire uh, case here is that the voices of Malay Muslim women, people who are affected by this, um, has not been front and center in this issue, right? Yeah. And and I just want to know why is that the case, right? We have Manap, we have Maliki, we have um, the Masagos. Imam, we have Masagos, and then now Shamugam. Yeah. Where's where's why why are they leaving Muslim women out of this? I don't know. They, can they I, not find somebody? You know, what, what's going on? I think it is very um, like it tells you a lot about who has the most say in mm-hmm. issues concerning women. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean it like um, oh there is a uh, patriarchy involved and things like that because it's a very quick and easy way for me to put it right. But yeah. it kind of describes a certain outlook. Mm-hmm. of how women issues are being tackled, yeah. especially in minority communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then I feel that um, people are pressing on to the hijab-wearing uh, Muslim women in parliament to say something, but mm-hmm. they are not allowed to say these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like um, if she has a personal stance and she has to go against what the institution believes in, mm-hmm. then that's contradictory, right? Mm-hmm. That's what happened to Shamuka and Masagos, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of puts them in a spot. So I feel that this is where civil service comes in, where yeah. uh, where people on the grounds, Muslim women, brown brown Muslim women, or even Chinese Muslim women who wears a hijab, mm-hmm. like this is where you can start sharing and you can mm. start talking. So my question is, why are they so quiet? Okay, yeah. it happened since two thousand, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure we're tired already. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I can say I'm quite tired because mm. every time when I talk about it, my friends will say that why are you making it such an issue? Because they don't understand it. Mm. And I feel like because I am the, I would say I am the affected community, I'm the victim of this. Yeah. It's very tiring for me to explain to you why I'm oppressed. Mm. You yeah. know? So, so like, like you have the internet, right? Yeah. You have great platforms like Beyond the Hijab or Lepak, Lepak Conversations. They are sharing all these things. Educate yourself mm. and be an ally. Understand that. Learn, learn. Like you need to understand just because it doesn't happen to your this friend, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen to me. 
So I guess Muslim women are, are kind of tired of this conversation already because it's like when we say and then we don't have that a real platform like a pol- like in parliament mm-hmm. we don't ha- we are not um we are not encouraged or um invited onto the policy making table mm-hmm. so why do we want to make the noise mm-hmm. yeah so the, the what we can do is do petitions yeah. share about our lived experiences that's what we do but this is about it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah people don't realize right no one actually gets up in the morning wanting to cause trouble or make a fuss yeah. you know like i i mean 99.9% of people don't right what you want to do is simply live your life and be treated fairly and equally to everyone else. Yeah. But it is elite privilege to be able to know that to you don't have to justify who you are or what you do mm. because that is accepted as normal. And it is elite privilege to know that your perspective will be taken into account in the decision-making process at the, at the policy-making table because you're going to be represented there through sheer weight of numbers and the idea that you are the the default right yeah. you're the you're the big bell curve yeah you know and those of us who aren't represented in that when the 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 process through which our views are represented is inadequate how else are we supposed to then ensure that our views are heard if not through protests through making a fuss through petitions through yeah. voicing out Right, if not through making other people's this this um, let let's say ignorant normal ignorant in the sense that you don't know not ignorant in the sense that you're deliberately blindly or stupid or anything but just the the people who don't know you have to pull them out of their comfort zone and the only way to do that is to make them uncomfortable mm. you know so um, it is a fundamentally a failure of representation if the voices of such an important minority you know we're not even talking about a tiny tiny minority you're not like i don't know the jewish community or something right mm-hmm. who are maybe a thousand people in singapore historically i mean right right now i the numbers might be a bit more but it's a very small number mm. um but uh you you know you're a, a very major part of our culture our history mm. our mm. country and your voices can't get heard mm. and it's it's such elite privilege to not even be able to realize that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking about elite privilege, right? There's a sort of nagging question in my head. Where is Halima Yaakob in all of this? I mean, she's the president, <laughs> right? Right. I was just sort of thinking, we we, you know, who could they call? Maybe you know there was an issue they couldn't find somebody. No, wait. The president is yeah. a is a hijab wearing yeah. Muslim woman. She's so, so quiet. Has, has she ever said anything? No. Oh, like yeah, na- like no. nothing. Na- nothing that. Uh, oh. Um, I think she said something about uh, she said about something like that once. I think that was during the um, okay, let's go saga. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Yeah. That's the only time I ever remember her speaking up, like seriously about some you know racial mm. issue. Yeah, but I think maybe she did have. I'm not too sure about that, but I think maybe she did once or twice. Okay, yeah, yeah. but right now it's a radio silence. But off the bat, yeah, I, I can't. I don't. When this happened, it she didn't say anything. Okay, yeah. it's very easy. You know, if you assume she's part of the elite, she can criticize. Okay, let's go. That it's a it's a podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. Because they're not part of the elite, but then she can't criticize the ministers. Because, well, you know, we all know why she's been, she was the selected president mm. placed there mm. uh, as, as a token figurehead. And as a result, she can't actually criticize any of the systems of power which put her in that place, no matter how much she personally may want to. Mm. Yeah, which is quite sad because I know her personally during my volunteer efforts and okay. I do have interactions with her and she's mm. an amazing woman. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know, to see somebody I respect being silenced or at least I assume being silenced, mm-hmm. it really speaks a lot about where my voice is as a Muslim woman, mm-hmm. how much it, it matters, the yeah. value that I point to society and nation building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it get, it got me questioning a lot. That yeah. is that is a profound yeah. thought. When you yeah. think about it, right, if, if even the president cannot speak up on this issue, where does what does that say about the place of Muslim women in our country? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so interestingly, um, there's a lot of research. So let's talk about Masago's um, uh, issue, like when he said that it's going to be divisive, right? Mm-hmm. So he said that um, he doesn't want patients to, like, you know, sh- uh, choose one over the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if your name tag says Sabaria, yeah. it does not mean that you're Muslim. Mm-hmm. You don't need a hijab. 
Yeah, your name tag shows your your race, your religion. So my question is, if he's listening, why are you protecting people who have this anti um like Islamophobic sentiments? Yeah. Why are you protecting them instead of us who contribute to nation building? Yeah. Instead of us who is marginalized. Instead of us whose Article Fifteen of the Constitution is not being extended to. Mm. Yeah, so that's my question to him. Yeah, I, mean, I thought our healthcare workers were like essential, you know, heroes, people to be praised, protected. But then suddenly, oh, some people might be racist, so you know, no, they, <laughs> no longer we can't protect them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 bit that has at least on my end, we wake up Singapore that has garnered the most, uh, you know, reaction. Right, is is Masago's argument because. It's broken on so many levels, oh, yeah. right? I mean, one of them is this really like, let's protect the Islamophobes uh, logic, right? Let's not have women in hijabs because that's going to make Islamophobes freak out, right? You know, and, like, I mean, that's some real galaxy brain logic right there. But I mean, another thing that, that I want to focus in here is him sort of decrying this issue or people who raise the issue as divisive, mm. right? What do, you, what do you make of that? How do you feel about that when people say the issues that you are concerned about and that affect your everyday life are divisive? Oh, I guess it's a way to silence me, mm-hmm. okay? So I feel that why is it divisive? What kind of empirical evidence do you have to support that this is divisive? Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't just say, oh, we have a closed-door discussion and we agree that it's divisive, mm-hmm. right? So who, like, the thing is there's a lot of... Uh, non-transparency there's a lot of, I cannot hold him accountable because he would say things like oh this is what was discussed but who was there yeah and <laughs> how was it discussed yeah, who were the participants okay. right? what is your sample size mm. who are these people from are they just echoing what you're believing in mm. then that's not a closed door discussion right that's not a discussion. <laughs> That's the PAP argument about democracy, right? This is this is um, something I've, I've brought up several times in different venues, that mm-hmm. how the PAP defined democracy is not representation by people. It's saying that all the views were represented in the policymaking process, mm. right? So they don't actually need, by this argument, a Muslim woman or indeed any Muslim or indeed any one who is a minority in the policy-making process as long as they can say, oh, those views were submitted through the proper channels and taken into consideration during the process. And that is how the PAP defines democracy. Mm -hmm. So this is part of this whole general belief that you don't actually need representation. You don't need a Muslim woman in the room. You don't need a minority in the room Mm -hmm. as long as their views are submitted to the people in the room. Mm -hmm. And that is democracy you know that is a smooth good efficient policy making process so then my question is how do these women have access to those people in the room if we don't know who these people are in the room mm. well meet the people <laughs> sessions <laughs> you know that's why they have uh, meet the people sessions they have the people association they have ccc they have rc they have you know uh, mandaki they have all these different stat boards right you have reach mm. right you're supposed to submit through all these formal channels mm. and then they'll say don't worry you know in our private closed door discussion where there's no public minutes or recording or anything we took into account your views and we made a decision for the good of society as a whole the country as a whole mm. see that's democracy that's a fundamental belief in, in the PAP decision making process that democracy works best that way mm. so I, I, want, I want to kind of sort of maybe take a step back here and ask you why are they so adamant on having a closed door discussion right I mean mm. it seems like a weird thing to slam the hammer down on but why why do you think they want this closed door discussion so badly mm, okay i have some notes here you <laughs> <laughs> really can't prepare all right yes i guess it's more it's a very safe and ideal environment to have difficult um, discussions like this sensitive discussions like this mm-hmm. and i would not deny that it's a very multifaceted issue yes okay um it talks a lot about social class it, it has um essence of all this in there mm-hmm. gender inequality as well so I guess because of how uh, delicate the is- this issue is, mm-hmm. um, closed door discussion might be the safest option yes. because you get to moderate what is said, you get to moderate who has to say what, you get to uh, decide mm-hmm. what is being discussed. Yeah. But I feel that if the issue affects people like me, yeah. shouldn't I be given the agency to moderate those discussions mm-hmm. with you guys as stakeholders instead? Mm. You know? 
yeah so that was my question about yeah. the whole closed door discussion then my question the next question is like um what is the sample size mm. of that moder- of that uh discussion yeah because the way that is being framed this whole tudong issue right is that it's a malay muslim issue mm-hmm. but there are lots of non-Malay Muslim women as well who are also affected, which hmm. their, their own uh, experiences are different. Okay. Yeah, so why don't you account for that diversity in wait, wait, your discussion? How, how would non-Malay Muslim women be affected by this? Okay, so you have to understand that like the Malay culture itself has some beliefs. Yes. Right? So even if you're Indian Muslim, there are also different beliefs. Yes. Yeah. And if you're Chinese Muslim, you have different beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so all these do play a part. In okay. the way that you you like, for example, if let's just say if I'm a convert, right, mm-hmm. and then uh, the job is I just started wearing a hijab, and then the job say if, uh, if all my life I have grown up to understand that social economical progress is important for me, yes, right, and then the job say you can have this, you can have that, you will go, you will get this promotion, but you have to take off your hijab. Mm. So my belief system is social economical progress is important for me, so I can take out the hijab. Mm. So then the HR will be like, oh, but this person can take out why you cannot take out. Yeah, mm. so you know how how it's a personal choice and yeah. it's a diversity of opinions and um the way people want to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should account for that. It's not like a oh this is the policy. It's not a blanket way of of like your solution should not be a one time solution. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess like when you have these lived experiences, this sample size of diverse people who who go through the same issue but in different aspects. Yeah. Then you have a robust discussion, right? Mm. Why did you not want that? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm also kind of thinking about what you said earlier, right? Which is that it's a safe option and you can kind of understand mm. where they're coming from. And I was just, and I sort of thought, okay, is that being a bit too charitable? Because what's the alternative of that? Like we have an open discussion and then what? What's the worst that can happen? Mm. I can't see Singaporeans like rioting on the streets mm. or like burning buildings. I'm like, you know, you know, people are just going to be more engaged. The the sphere of discussion is going to be open up. But I can't imagine human beings like taking to the streets and burning mm. stuff. So I mean, is is it really necessary for us to have like a safe closed door discussion? Mm, okay, so with that yeah. into consideration, right? Mm. I do feel that there needs to be a balance of both. Okay. Okay. So I feel that yes, you can have a closed door discussion. But when I mean closed door, I mean like you have it in a in an environment where uh, it's closed so like not it's not like live view you know whoever okay. who comes so not like live stream yeah, then. Okay. yeah. So, so you take into so that these people will take into account what they say mm-hmm. so all the trolls are online right their mm-hmm. profiles are all fake profiles what? that's why they can say whatever they want to say okay. but if you name if you tag their opinion to mm-hmm. them their mm-hmm. individual then they're more responsible about what they say yes yeah so you can have this uh, like closed door session or yeah. you or you, but you can invite members from the outside community in that's mm-hmm. one on top of that can you keep transcripts of what's happening mm. yeah I mean you can you can still moderate there's still some control that mm. you have like moderating the situation right um, but I feel definitely at the bottom of my heart I feel that it's because our ministers are not equipped with the skills mm. to deal with differing opinions mm-hmm. that's it that's just it I yeah. mean it sounds like what you're proposing is something akin to like a town hall yeah, rather yeah. than like a close okay yeah I I also have this weird suspicion that they just don't want the power, the decision-making power to seep anywhere outside of uh, a a select group of elites. Yeah, Yeah, and I don't know what you sort of think about that. Maybe I've become very cynical after looking (laughs) at local politics. That makes sense. You know, having open meetings means Mm -hmm. that um, you are ceding some initiative to the broader public to bring up different views and then you have to deal with those views on the spot. As you said... And then you have to be accountable for the things you say on the spot. That is very scary. Yeah. I think, especially if you're not someone who is actually a politician who worked their way up from the ground mm. and is experienced with dealing with issues and representing people, but rather you're parachuted in like many of our yeah. political leaders are. So it's a combination, I think, of not wanting to give away that power, but also mm. being deeply terrified of being put in a situation where you actually have to give an opinion. Yeah. Right? Because with a closed door thing, you can say whatever you want. Oh yes, I fought so hard for Muslim women for the right for every Muslim to decide for themselves. Mm-hmm. Then you can, you know, you can say that. But actually in the room, no one knows what's happened because yeah. it was closed door. Who's yeah. no, no transcript, no minutes, there's no transparency, no accountability. And, yeah. and, and I'm I'm sort of thinking in my head as well, like if 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 we had you in a room with Masagos mm. or Shamugam, right? 
you'd be able to point out the things that you're pointing out here. Yeah. You know, like, eh, eh, you know, you guys, you don't know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> like, I, I live this, I'm affected by this. And point out, like, the different intersections of how this affects you. Yeah. Call them out on, like, the weird interpretations that they have. Yeah. Right? Clarify the bizarre arguments, right? And really come from your own perspective. They wouldn't stand a chance. There's no way they live that down. I mean, but at the same time, I'll be respectful about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I mean, like, if you're watching this, I am more <laughs> than willing to have that conversation with you. Because I feel that um, it's not an us versus them thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I want us to see that the beauty of diversity is that the more we are together, we, un- we can agree to disagree agree but you have to also respect that people come with their own experiences mm. you know so I will be able to do it tactfully like of course it's something that matters a lot to me mm-hmm. um, and then but I do so there recently there was a case where um, a religious uh, person a religious figure was invited to this closed door section mm-hmm. and then um, he he's a, one of a very notable religious leader and then uh, somebody actually left a note on the religious leader's car calling him a name as the name alright uh, so it's like a slur word alright yeah so then he posted it online and he said that this is the reason why we need to do things closed door Oh. Because we don't have the maturity to 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 engage in discussions like that. Mm-hmm. But then I come to think that's a very oversimplified view yeah. of what the Muslim community is capable of, mm-hmm. right? Because there are lots of Muslim scholars who are more than willing to engage with you. But this mm-hmm. one guy who does that, it kind of like then you you send this narrative around. Mm. This is not that's not it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's this is a very common argument by the government, right? There are literally hundreds of thousands of people trying to engage civilly online, but then one person abuses the you know a minister, and they're like, oh, this is this is what the opposition are like. You know, they they're mm-hmm. trolls or whatever, and they just ignore the rest of us who are trying to make very reasoned very respectful arguments mm-hmm. which are trying to take into account all these different views and ultimately the other point I think I want to make is you know Singapore has had the same government since 1959 and they take credit for our, all our economic progress but they never take any of the responsibility for a lack of political maturity you know they, they claim that there's a lack of political maturity mm. but who's been in power and shaped our society for almost <laughs> how many years has it been 60 years mm. right mm. 60 years the government's in power they've actually fundamentally altered our society in so many different ways Mm -hmm. because of the education system, because of cultural policy, housing policy, race policy, education policy. Mm. They've changed how Singaporeans live and think and see the world. And yet somehow it's our fault that we have a lack of political maturity. And that's why, you know, and, and, and then that is used as a reason why we should continue to have a lack of political maturity mm-hmm. by having all this, yeah. uh, you know, opportunity to have reason, mature debate denied to us. Mm. Mm. So I, I want to kind of ask you here, like, what, what do you make of uh, Shamugam contradicting Masagos, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where do you think uh, that signals we're headed in? Okay, the first time when I heard it, right? I yeah. was like, huh? Oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> this happened? Okay. Yeah, I had to reread the headline. I thought, yeah. what was going on? Yeah. I thought it was like a misprint or something, yeah. you know? Then I'm like, oh, so there's been the talks over the months. Mm-hmm. Then how come Masvagos didn't get the message? Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's one. And then secondly, I feel like, okay, so he's stepping up means that it's a national issue, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's a law minister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that given his uh, track record and given his experiences, so... It means that he, when the fact that he said it instead of the minister from Muslim Affairs said it, it kind of changes who has the microphone now. Mm. Yeah. So then I feel that like, okay, so now it's a national issue because he said it. Okay. Yeah. Does it strike you as like a bit problematic that the minister from Muslim uh, Affairs is <laughs> is being kind of superseded by? <laughs> I feel like he was thrown under the bus. Yeah. Like, oops, totally. you didn't do it. Yeah. So maybe his performance was not was unsatisfactory. Yeah. To the people on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they decided, you know what? I'm gonna throw you under the bus. Yeah. So uh, then when I, when I when that happened, I was it was quite shocking for me when he said it yeah because all this while well, the framing is oh it's a muslim issue it's a malay muslim issue and then even the debates are in malay mm-hmm. right so so because of that we don't have the allyship for of like our non-muslim friends mm-hmm. yeah so then suddenly when he comes up and he says this then i'm like oh <laughs> and then i see some comments online right like mm-hmm. be like oh no this is gonna be an islamic state 
Yeah, so so I was like, oh, okay, so you think putting on the hijab will make it an Islamic state? Then why do all these Islamic state go through their efforts to do whatever they have to do to make an Islamic state? You know, so like those kind of arguments, right, mm-hmm. um, are harbored by Islamophobes, right? Yeah. So why do you pay attention to those when they are really trolls? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But okay, I I, su- I suppose at the at the very least, right, we can be a little bit hopeful that things are about to change, right, given yeah. Shamugam's messaging. But what do you think are some things that we should take note of or be careful about as we implement um, this new policy that um, would open it up for Muslim women to don the headscarf? I think um, when, because the conversation has taken center stage with the Muslim men, right? Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on that. So I guess now that the uh, when this let's just say in the in the near future mm-hmm. muslim women are allowed to wear the the tudong right mm-hmm. and then the nurse who decides not to wear it i guess the muslim men have to respect that that's the decision mm. and not be like oh last time you say this is an issue then now we already do this for you then you still don't want to wear the tudong yeah mm. so i feel that you have to respect that wearing the the hijab the tudong it's a personal choice yes and if i'm given and i would like to practice my rights mm-hmm. um on article 15 of the constitution to choose whether i want to wear it or not mm-hmm. yeah that's the first one but secondly right, we shouldn't celebrate too much Okay. Because it's just the nurses. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What about the other sectors? Yes. Because from what I understand, uh, in the private sector, right, the the dress code is uh, given exclusively to the employers. Yes. Yeah, but there are people who I know of who um, get this blanket statement, oh, you have to wear uniform so you cannot wear the hijab. Mm-hmm. So, of course, nurses is the first step, right? Yes. And then maybe a legislation where you just have to just put it out there that people are allowed to wear the hijab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you talk about the whole like uniform issue, you can make arrangements to uniform, right? Mm-hmm. Why do we have this impression that in order for us to be united, we have to be the same? Mm. Yeah. Well, what is up with that? Yeah. When we know that diversity exists, and we shouldn't be, we shouldn't shy away from it. And it's it's baked into the very essence of what it means to be Singaporean, right? We are a country of migrants. We celebrate ourselves on our multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-religious society. So, so this is this is bullshit, right? I mean, this is, you can't celebrate diversity on the other hand and then actively stifle it in the same breath. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess it it really needs to be said again, right? This has been brought up, but the Sikh exemption is uh, it means that. There is one rule for one group of people and another rule for another group of people. There's no consistency across the, you know, there's no principle here that is being adhered to, mm. you know. And it's not that we want Sikhs to not wear their turbans, but why give an ex- exception to one group and not to another? And of course, Masagos then, to justify that, said something incredibly, incredibly stupid, uh, which, you know, as as, as a... As a colonial historian, you know, like I literally <laughs> fell off my chair. He said, uh, save for the practices that we inherited as a legacy from the British government, mm-hmm. our uniform policy in the public service cannot be tilted towards any particular religious belief. Save for the practices that we inherited as a legacy from the British government. <laughs> so it's like, you know... We, legacy is such a disgusting word Colonialism here, but... is good. You know, it's some of the things that colonial, the colonial government did is okay, you know, and, and, and that is a reason why we should keep doing them. I mean, that, that it, it beggars belief that in 2021, a politician can stand up and defend the practices of a colonial government and defend continuing those practices as a reason why you continue to do them. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean... And as a, as, a, as a Malay man, right, you know, go and read Myth of the Lazy Native. Like, go and see yeah, the things yeah. that That's the colonists have said. That's even a shorter version of it, right? Mm. Uh, schema or Reformer. That's an easier to read mm. version. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just go and look at the things that they did. Look at the things that they said. The depictions of them. The crude jokes. Like, yeah, yeah they, these are not your friends, Mr. Masagos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, you're, you're, what kind of history books you're reading, but that's a weird thing to do. But, I mean, anyway, let's come back to the discussion here. Okay, and so I think, can yeah. I just mention something? Because yeah. you mentioned about the Sikh men, right? They are yeah. able to wear the turban. So I speak to some of my Sikh friends mm-hmm. who are women and they tell me that they are not allowed to wear their turban huh. in their workforce. Yeah. Wait, so wait, I wait. didn't know this Sikh, as well. Sikh friends who are women. Yeah. So some of my Sikh friends who mm-hmm. are women, they wear the turban as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and then they say they're not allowed to wear it. Okay. Yeah. 
So, but for sick men, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So then I was like, oh, I didn't know this is happening or at, uh, to you as well. I said, yeah, but because you are very, very small, mm-hmm. because the fact that sick women, uh, not all sick women wear the, wear the turban, right? Mm-hmm. So like only a select few wear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those select few are not able to wear them. Yeah, see, this is why we need more discussions from the actually affected groups where we need mm-hmm. the, the actual minorities, the actual individuals to come out and speak and not just, you know, these token representatives who, who speak on the behalf of the affected community, which they themselves are not a part of. But uh, don't you like wonder like, whoa, is that like an indication of some kind of patriarchy? Yeah, right. Uh, that's kind of my suspicion here. <laughs> like, wait, what? You too? You? Oh my God, sis, we are the same. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was thinking. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So I guess in that way, that's why I mean that like, it's multifaceted, right? Yeah. A lot of issues that send me. And at the same time, I feel that like, um, I think the government is very proud of their multiracial, multi-religious peace and harmony mm-hmm. song that they sing all the time, right? Yes. So, so when this happens and then like the Islamophobes come out, right? It kind of gives them a cognitive dissonance that, oh, we didn't really do a good job. Yeah. So that's why they try to like, you know, uh, don't let this closet racist come out because yeah. it will be a testament to our failures. It's, it's uh, easier <laughs> to say, ah, uh, you know, the, the, the issue is just inherently, naturally, metaphysically divisive rather yeah. than the things that we have done have not engendered a multiracial and a truly tolerant society. Yeah. It's easier to put the blame on the issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, I want to sort of get your, your thoughts here on what are your observations, I guess, in general about this whole saga uh, that has played out maybe from 2002 up to right now, Shamukam's weirdly contradictory remarks. What are your observations on this whole issue? Mm, okay, so when it happened in 2002, I wasn't wearing the hijab then. Mm-hmm. So I only wore it like uh, in 20, 20, 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's when it really affects me because it's when the whole thing started coming on, mm-hmm. right? And then I started wearing this new identity mm-hmm. and then I was part of the whole ch- switch. Because before I wear the hijab, I would say I enjoy some privileges. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like oh, I don't get, I, I get, uh, I don't get scouted as a certain race, yeah. you know? And then I do enjoy privileges. But the moment I wear the hijab, right, boom, <laughs> all this comes on mm-hmm. me. Then I realize, oh my goodness, if this is what I feel now, imagine what happens to like my other counterparts who has to grow up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking, which is why I talk about it in within my circle of friends, but mm-hmm. not online anymore because I got quite exhausted already. Mm-hmm. So from this observation, right, the whole saga, <laughs> it is quite interesting to know that it took so long for us to get here. Okay, so yeah. this was in... 20- Pretty much 20 years, right? Almost yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, so it took so long. And I think the rise of the internet, the mm-hmm. rise of information at your fingertips, the rise of civil uh, discourses online is the reason why we're moving forward. Mm. So I feel that like our ministers should just get on board the program. <laughs> Look, we are, we are, all this is happening already. Instead of resisting it, mm-hmm. why not just humble yourself to understand or listen is it so hard? Like, mm. is it such a such a bruise to your ego? Look, with all due respect, we are learning, even I am learning a lot of new things. All of us are learning new things every day, mm-hmm. right? So why do you think that you are an exception to that? Mm. Yeah. So this whole thing about civil discourses, people getting much more interested in uh, issues surrounding um, discrimination, and then like people speaking up over the whole brown face saga, mm. people talking about uh, racial inequality, then just get on board the program. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's, uh, I come back to what you were saying just now, right? It's not, it's not necessarily an us versus them situation. Yeah. Just, we, we just want to say it, like there are issues affecting us. Just listen. It's when you don't listen, then people get upset. People get hostile. Yeah. People start to speak out louder and louder, right? Then, you know, why? why? Why is it so hard? You know, it's not like anybody's out, out to get you out for blood, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Especially, <laughs> you know, on such a minor issue, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one piece of fabric worn by one subgroup of the country. You know, mm-hmm. if you can't even deal with this, how are you actually going to deal with the huge major issues that, you know, really affect the country very deeply? For example, of course, climate change and the depredations of neoliberal capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. You can't deal with a piece of fabric. How are you going to fundamentally reform society and our economy and our country at a time where it's clear all those things need need reform Mm. and this is a broader theme i think that we've observed through the podcast and through you know recent history and i know i've observed in my writing that where we once used to have a government which was 
very radical in many ways in trying to keep Singapore ahead of the curve, right? And even embrace some things which which today we look back very reprehensible, but at least they were trying to keep Singapore progressing forward into a new era and change the country to anticipate the future, right? Mm-hmm. Go where the ball is being played, as, as to use a football analogy. Mm. Today, we have a government which is terrified of any change and justifies everything in the context of the past and maintaining the practices of the past because that's their only claim to legitimacy and any deviation from the past cuts themselves off from their own legitimacy as a government. Mm. You know, they have nothing... They, you know, they, they, they have nothing that they can... Um, no, no track record of their own. They only have Lee Kuan Yew's track record, the old mm. guard's track record. And so they have to preserve whatever remains of that. And mm. that means even on a tiny little issue like this, they're not willing to, to create any sort of fundamental change. Mm. You know, and the only concession is, okay, one small subgroup of a subgroup of a subgroup yeah. can now wear the headscarf Possibly, maybe, hasn't been fully confirmed yet, mm. but maybe, you know, a tiny little concession. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, okay, you can use already, right? Okay, you wait 10 years, then the others can use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they'll say something like, oh, you know, if we change too fast, then society's going to go upside down or some some crap like but that. But society's <laughs> always changing. Social yeah. norms are always changing. Yeah. yeah. So you can't resist it. You have to embrace it. If you're going to be relevant as a government, if you're going to be relevant as a, as a political party, as a leadership, mm-hmm. you have to embrace these voices. Yes. Because somewhat or rather, because of, the, uh, because of our access to platforms like the internet, for example, right? How are you going to control that? Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you have to get us on your team it's not an us versus them thing mm. yeah yes please well, if, if anybody in power is listening <laughs> yes please this is an important message yes we we want to help you you know <laughs> those of you who are out there anyone the PAP listening we want to help you mm-hmm. you know it's not that we want to make your life difficult mm-hmm. yeah yeah. yeah. So I guess I I wanna I wanna kind of wrap up here on on a very broad meta question, which comes back to something that you were mentioning just now, mm-hmm. which is that you have friends or you have people or you know people who say things like, oh, you know, it's just a piece of cloth. It's not that important, mm-hmm. right? And that kind of got me thinking that, you know, as we discuss this big issue, there are a lot of I think stereotypes and misunderstandings surrounding the tudong. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those stereotypes and misunderstandings? Mm, okay. I think one, the most obvious one, is mm-hmm. that we are forced to wear it. Okay. Yeah. So I guess you have to understand that not everyone is forced to wear it. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't have the stati- statistics to prove it. Mm-hmm. But I, among my group of friends, mm-hmm. I know that none of us were forced to wear it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. And then, um, like, uh, you have to understand that it's a personal choice. Mm-hmm. And once we commit to it, there is an article in the Constitution, Article 15, mm-hmm. which says that we can practice it. So it's not a matter of you don't like, you don't use law, you don't like, you go somewhere else. It's not that. That's dismissing the issue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I feel that you have to understand that it's our rights from the rights angle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is our rights that that we are discriminated upon. You have to understand that. You have to first understand that fundamentally. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's ridiculous to go like, but you don't have to worry about it's a choice and don't use it. Then you just go back. The, The fact is we've already used it. Yes. Let's start from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's start. That that's, that should be where the conversation begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the... And then the other one is like, oh, um, this tudung is a Malay issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have friends who ask me, why is there all this noise about a tudung issue? And then I feel that, okay, you have to understand it's incredibly um, difficult for me to be in this position where I speak mm-hmm. on, on uh, as a Muslim woman, right? Yes, yeah. but, I, and, but I also feel it's also important that when you ask your friends, you understand your hijab-wearing friends, right? You mm-hmm. understand that it is from their lived experiences. Mm-hmm. So, it might not be exclusively, it might not be a representation of everyone's experiences, but it accounts for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and the whole the whole idea that uh, you can just take it off whenever you want, because mm-hmm. I've seen somebody done it before. Yeah, but it is your choice. Yes. It's not mine. Why are you accepting that on me? Mm-hmm. So, that stereotype um, and that misconception, right? I really hope you, you, like, you know, you ask yourself, you talk to people. And I will not be surprised if it's, you don't know these things because you don't have access to Muslim women. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself, why don't you have access to Muslim women? Mm-hmm. Why don't you have access to Muslim women who wear the hijab? Is it because the spaces you occupy is not inclusive enough Mm. if it's not then you have to work harder to build a longer table Mm. not a taller wall 
Yeah, mm. so this what. <laughs> Maybe just a last, last comment from you here. What is what makes the hijab so important for you and then maybe for, for, for a Muslim woman out there? What is the, the relevance and the significance of it that's so powerful that a lot of people miss out? Mm, okay, I think it's the... Like for me personally, yeah. I think it's the, it's the empowerment that I feel with it. Yes. Yeah, so if I choose to wear it, this is my choice. Mm-hmm. And it, whoever I show my hair to is my choice. I wear it whoever, however the hell I want. Mm-hmm. It is my choice. It's an empowerment thing. So some people might feel empowered showing more skin. Mm-hmm. Good, good for you. But this is how I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to respect that, that diversity exists. Yes. Yeah, so that's why it's important for me because it's an indication of my empowerment mm-hmm. and my woman empowerment. Yeah, so for for everybody else, I feel that it's important for women in uh, because I feel that we are always succumbing to what the men say mm-hmm. or what society says. But I guess now you have to understand that within yourself, right? If you get to know more Muslim women who wear the hijab, I'm pretty sure you will find some very notable figures um, in who helped out in nation building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for example, there was an uh, there was a scientist uh, from A Star. Mm-hmm. Her name is Jackie. Mm-hmm. She wears the hijab too. Yeah, but where is her voice? Mm-hmm. Is she invited the closed door session? By the way, just wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so these are the questions that you have to ask yourself. Where are the Muslim women wearing the hijab within your circles? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you know the big question that we that we that we like to end off with um, is what is your theory of change? Basically, big question. Yes, but basically, how do you think change should or could happen, and how do you see yourself making a change in Singapore in the world? Hmm. Wow, it is such a philosophical question. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really. You know, I think one reason why we ask it, why why definitely why I'm interested, is because people tend to not realize how many different ways there are to create change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for some people, maybe it's writing and publishing. Mm-hmm. For other people, it's protesting. Mm-hmm. For other people, it's being a, a good representative of your community and you know being able to um, show that, uh, that, you know, be a positive example of your community to the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for some people, it's slowly building an institution, quietly working so that that institution can, can then create change. For others, it's acting alone, you know. So um, everyone does things for a reason, mm-hmm. right? You don't just go and do things. You do things because you believe it will make some sort of change. Mm-hmm. Will. So that's all we're asking, right? <laughs> Why do you do what you do when you have... 24 hours in a day same as everyone else but how? why do you choose to spend it this way and not that way mm-hmm. oh okay so I guess would be my I, I think I believe strongly in education mm-hmm. so um, so I, I like to educate the younger generation mm-hmm. because I feel they're more curious mm-hmm. they may have preconceived biases but those are easily um, like uh, challenged because they are very curious mm-hmm. so I like to start them young so I like to introduce diverse books in my classrooms mm-hmm. um, so I like to ensure representation in my classroom mm-hmm. I, I like to ensure that um, if someone says something that is uh, strange that I don't avoid it so sometimes they ask, why is your skin so dark? Mm. Or why is your skin so black? Mm. Yeah, so some, usually people be, people be like, oh, you don't say these kind of things. But I like to look at it like, oh, this child is really curious. Mm. Yeah, so I say, why makes you think that it's black? So then the whole idea that while I want to answer them, I have to educate myself first, mm. right? So how do I explain um, melanin to children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do I uh, explain that our our skin is uh, color is because of melanin? How mm. do I explain it? So that relearning, yes, that that um, the unlearning, relearning is an important process for me, mm-hmm. which is why I say I'm a learner first, right? Because I do I do see I do know that I have biases mm-hmm. and I'm aware of that and I'm always reflecting on that because I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. Right, so for me, as my theory of change is to start within the spaces I occupy. Mm-hmm. So when I have friends, I I like to, I don't I don't shy away from the topic. Mm-hmm. So and I'm very approachable. If you know me, mm-hmm. but if if you see me outside, I'm quite awkward. But if you know me, I'm quite approachable. Mm-hmm. I like to hear what you have to say because mm-hmm. I want I I believe that people are just like the lived experiences are so unique that there is a space for learning and understanding that. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that is the beauty of the human condition, Mm -hmm. you know? So for me, I feel that my theory of change is to um, learn, relearn and unlearn at the same time, make the change within the smallest spaces I occupy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like in my grab ride earlier, Mm -hmm. yeah, when I came over. So I was asking the guy, "Um, can I just ask you something? Um, What do you feel about the whole Tudong issue? Then he looked up. 
Then he looked at me. He thought I was very hit. He was like, oh, crap. I, I just wanted to take this hitch. I didn't want to have this conversation. So mm. I said, no, no, really. I, I like to know what you feel about it. Mm. So he said he didn't know what the noise was about. Mm. Yeah, because he said like, I had this one, no offense. It's a Malay issue. It's not my issue. He mm. said that. So I said, okay. Then I asked him, why does he think that? Because he said, I don't wear the headscarf. I don't wear, I don't, uh, I don't wear tudung. I don't know anybody who wear tudung. So I asked him, um, you don't know anybody who wear tudung? Even in the workforce? No, no, no. Then it kind of clues me at how exclusive people's circles are. Mm. So in a way, right, where we are more online and more connected, are we really connected or disconnected? Mm. Yeah. So that's like that's also what I feel that when I write grab hitch, right? My favorite is to write a grab hitch because I you, I, you don't know who the driver is and <laughs> he doesn't know he's gonna have me. And then the conversation starts, right? Mm. So sometimes I get racist drivers, of course, that's normal. But I don't take offense because I know that they grew up in a different era. Mm. Yeah. So like like I'm more like I feel that I have the privilege of education and information, but they don't. Mm. So the only way to 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 start that communication is to build that bridge. Mm. Yeah. So that's me. <laughs> All right. No, that's fantastic. And you know, we we want to learn too. And so I hope uh, you'll you'll come back on the show and yeah. allow us to ask you, you know, ignorant questions, sure. and so that we can all learn together. I think it, I we've really enjoyed having you yes. here. It's been really fantastic. Thank you for having yeah. me. I mean, this has been really, really one very, very enlightening session. A very, very powerful intervention as well to a very murky poorly understood yeah. uh, issue that is being dominated by male voices that are just, you know, I don't know what they're talking about. But thank you so much. <laughs> a powerful intervention yes. here. Very relevant, very timely. So thank you so much, No Friday, for, for joining us. And I mean, I just keep going back to that quote uh, that you said just now. Longer tables, shorter walls. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. Nariz, thank yeah. you for having me. <laughs> right, and thank you, thank you, Noor, thank you, Sean. As always, great questions, great co-hosting. Thank you to our members in Discord uh, who've joined us. Thank you to you, our listeners, for listening. And as always, if you enjoyed this, please do join New Narrative as a member. We're very much dependent on membership revenue to survive, so we do need you to join newnarrative.com/join or donate at newnarrative.com/donate. Thank you very much, and see you next time. Stay with me.